this morning, which is how to position yourself to hear God. You know, many of us, we desire to have supernatural, in, for God to have supernatural involvement in our lives. We want to be able to hear from him. It's okay. You can turn it off if you want to. We want to be able to hear from him. We want to know and we want to recognize his voice. I'm sure you do. We want, to, we want to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. We want to be able to detect when he's prompting us, when he's leading us. We want to be confident in, in the witness of the Spirit of God. We want to know when we turn to the left or when we turn to the right that there is that voice, there is that confirmation. This is the way, walk ye in it. So today I want to talk about how can you and I position ourselves so that we can hear God. The truth of the matter is this, God desires to, for you to hear him, for you to be, to be involved in your life, even more than you and I do. It says in Isaiah 30 verse 18 that God is waiting to be gracious to those that will wait on him, that will position themselves. Amen? And it is God's very purpose that you should, God has purpose that you would hear him, that you would be led by his spirit. It says in, in John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep, they hear my voice, and they follow me. They hear my voice. So you are God's sheep. You do hear his voice, and you do follow him. He knows you. You know him. Question, how do you position yourself to be in that place where you are able to hear? Well, first of all, what you need to know is that you need to know that God speaks that God is speaking. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says that in, in times past, God spoke to them. God spoke to the fathers, and God spoke in times past by, by the prophets. But in these last days now, the day that we are living in, God speaks to us by his son, by his son, by Christ himself. Now, you see, Christ himself is in you and is in me. It says in Colossians 3, verse 3 and 4, you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life shall appear, Christ is in you. It says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 that you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. If indeed Christ, if indeed the spirit of God is in you, and if any man does not have the spirit of Christ, then, he, then he's none of his. He needs to get born again. What am I saying? Christ is in you, and God says, in this day, in this new covenant that you and I are living in, you can have an expectation that God will speak to you by his Son through Christ. Now, Jesus sent the Holy Ghost, and it says in John 16, verse 13, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will lead you, he will guide you into all truth, he will not speak of himself. He will not speak from his own authority. But whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak. So the Holy Soul, Jesus, is speaking to you, in you, and through you by his Spirit. So to start with, you've got to know that God is speaking. He is speaking all the time. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now, here are some principles I'm going to share um, that will help you to position yourself in that place when you 
where you can hear. And then I will also share some practical exercises, so to speak, some things that you need to do on a daily basis to be in this place, to live in this place. Okay, how do you position yourself to hear? Psalm 16, verse 11 says, I will show you the path of life in, in my presence, there is fullness of joy. I will show you, God will show you the path of life. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. Let's break that down. In, he will show you the path of life in his presence. When you are in his presence, that is the place where he is able to show you the path of life, show you the way in which you should go. That is the place where you are able to hear, where you are able to be sensitive to his leading, to his witness, to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That is the place when you have that sense of knowing. It's in his presence. Now, if you think about it just on a, on a, on a practical level, if I am in your presence... I can hear you easier. If you are in my presence, you can hear me easier. Now, here is the reality. You are living in the presence of God, and the presence of God is in you. God speaks from his presence. I mean, think about that. God speaks from his presence. God speaks from himself, and God is in his own presence, is he not? Amen? So when you are in his presence, you are in a place where you are able to hear, where he is able to, to lead, where you can be sensitive. So you need to put yourself in the presence of God. It says in um, Psalm 77, verse 13, your way, O God, is in your sanctuary. The way of God is in his sanctuary. It's in his presence. Think about it. It says in um, Isaiah, God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. But God wants you to have his thoughts. God wants you to know his way. But his way is in his presence. Amen? And then again, in Psalm 73, verse 17, it says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, that's the presence of God, then I understood. There is something supernatural and divine that happens in the presence of God where the eyes of your understanding can be opened, where you're able to receive revelation knowledge, understanding the wisdom of God, and be able to, to receive the mind of Christ and hear from the Spirit of God. Amen? So, what, so here is the point. You and I must position ourselves in God's presence. Now, how do you do that? Well, number one, acknowledge acknowledge that you are in his presence acknowledge that his presence is in you there is again there is a supernatural divine power that comes with acknowledging of the truth it says in titus 1 verse 1 that when you acknowledge the truth what happens there is the manifestation of the god life it is it produces godliness so there is just a power in acknowledgement in um Proverbs 3, verse 6, it says, In all your ways, what? Acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Acknowledge that you are a child of God. Acknowledge you are born again. Acknowledge all things have passed away. Acknowledge he has given me the power to get well. Acknowledge I have a new covenant, a better covenant with better promises. Acknowledge my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Acknowledge I am his sheep, I hear his voice, the voice of a stranger you will not follow. You see, there is a power to acknowledgement. There is a power to acknowledging and speaking and declaring what God says and agreeing with God that will cause revelation to come. 
that will cause the power of God, the power of the kingdom to come to, to be released, to bring establishment and fulfillment to what you are acknowledging and declaring. Philemon, verse 6, says, uh, acknowledge that the communicating of your faith becomes effective as you acknowledge every good thing that is in you in Christ. So you, there is such a tremendous truth and power to that. So first of all, you need to position yourself in God's presence, and one of the things that you must do is acknowledge that you live in his presence. Acknowledge that his presence is in you. Amen? Number two, prayerfully place yourself in the presence of God. What do I mean if you're already there? Prayerfully pray in such a manner as to awaken your consciousness to the presence of God. You see, why do you need to awaken your consciousness to the presence of God? It says in um, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18 that you and I, that we can be alienated from the life of God that is in us through ignorance, by being insensitive. So we don't want to be alienated. We don't want to be an alien to that life of God and that presence of God that is in us. So yes, we acknowledge, but we must also prayerfully pray in such a manner as to awaken that consciousness of his indwelling presence. Hallelujah. How do you do that? Well, you, you are able to do that by applying the truths that comes out of the sacrifice, the very sacrifice that placed you in his presence. It is the sacrifice that placed you in his presence. What do I mean by that? Well, it says in Hebrews chapter 10 that, um, that we enter into the holy years by the blood of Jesus through the veil of his flesh that was torn into this new and living way. Enter where? Into this presence, into the holiest of holies. So that, again, that speaks about the very sacrifice of Christ. Now, the truths of the sacrifice of Christ, as, um, as I've communicated in the past, there are basically eight truths. Number one, there is, a, there, is a, um, there is a death in that Jesus died, and you died with him. There is the burial. Jesus was buried, and your old man, that old you, was buried with him. Jesus was resurrected, and you were resurrected with him. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. You ascended to the right hand of the Father with him, and you were made to sit together with him in heavenly places. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed, and that blood that Jesus shed has washed you and has cleansed you from all sin. And it has placed you in a place, it has placed you in this new covenant, in this new will, and it has made every detail and aspect of that will to be enforced because the testator, the one that made the will, died. Hallelujah. So that blood has given you an inheritance, has given you a new life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then there is the, and this new life that you have, it is now the life of Christ. Because of the sacrifice, the life of Christ is now in you, and Christ is able to live through you, and you are now able to have his life. Gee, Christ is living through you, and he is also executing his authority through you. And you execute his authority as you appropriate the authority that is in his name. And then furthermore, Christ is in you, and he is speaking through you. He is speaking in you. He's speaking in you by the word that is written. He's speaking you by the divine utterances 
from the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to you by the great and precious promises. Because by these promises and by the word of God, you are able to take a hold of that divine nature that God has placed in you. So when you prayerfully apply the aspects of the sacrifice of Christ, whether you do it in an abbreviated form, such as in Hebrews 10, verse 16 to 22, where God says this is a covenant I will make with them in this day. It's a new covenant. And in this new covenant, I will remember their sins no more. For where there is a remission of these, there is no more offering for sin. But rather, here you have boldness to enter into the holiest through the blood of Jesus if by a new and a living way that Christ has consecrated for you and I through the veil that is to say his flesh. So you can simply declare, Father, I thank you that I stand in your presence. And I enter in through the blood of the Lord Jesus and through the veil of his flesh. And just by declaring what he did in his body, what he did by his shed blood, by the authority of that, um, I am here, I live here, I live in your presence. You are not only in the presence, but you live in the presence of God. Meaning then that his presence is your residence. That is where you live. You live there continually. Hallelujah. You are accepted. And actually, it goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 10, if you were to go on to verse 22, it says, um, coming boldly to the throne of, let me just read it. I'm going to read this here. Because there's a, there's, a, there's a thought that is also very, very valuable that would help your consciousness in terms of this freedom from separation and sin consciousness. Hebrews chapter 10. Okay, verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I'm going to put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, that's the presence, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, that is his flesh, and verse 21, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. That evil conscience is a conscience of unbelief. That evil conscience is a conscience of, is a sin consciousness that you are somewhat separated from God. So it says, but you have this high priest over the house of God, so let us having entered into the blood and the body of Christ, let us draw near, let us draw near with a true heart, with a, in a full assurance of faith. How can you have this full assurance of faith? How can you have this true heart having entered through the blood? Because of that high priest. What do you mean because of that high priest? You see, as the high priest is accepted before God, you are accepted before God just as your high priest is. You are accepted or rejected based on the person of your high priest. Well, you know Jesus is accepted. So that means you're accepted. That's the reason why Ephesians 1 verse 6 says that you are accepted in the beloved. Amen? Hallelujah. So we are to declare these truths. We are to declare the truths that flow out of the sacrifice of Christ. What are you doing when you declare these truths? Well, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16 puts it this way. It says that the, the cup which we bless, is it not the, the cup of blessing which we bless? Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? 
And this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? What is it saying? It says that when you break the bread, when you, when you take the cup representing the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we call communion, you are declaring and proclaiming that I have a common union, I have an intimate participation in everything he did in his shed blood and everything he did in his broken body. Again, that's an abbreviated version for all eight aspects of the sacrifice. Amen? Jesus put it this way. Jesus said in John 6, 53, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have my life. In other words, you and I, we want to function in the life and in the nature of Christ. We want that life of Christ to, to envelop us, to overtake us. We want to be, we want to, we want to be, be so full of that life of Christ emanating through us. And Jesus says, this is how you do it. You are going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, meaning you're going to have to be consumed in me and by me. You got to be clothed with Christ. Amen. Again, what is that talking about? That's an application of the sacrifice. Hallelujah. So, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to um, communicate this in yet a different way. Why it is so important. What Jesus did in his sacrifice is what opens up the floodgates of heaven. It is what opens you up to the abundance of grace. It is what opens you up to the, to the gift of righteousness so that you can reign in life by virtue of what he has done. So it is so important to keep coming at these eight aspects and truths that come out of the sacrifice from different perspectives just to make sure you get it. Peter says, I'm going to put you in remembrance as long as I'm in this tabernacle. Well, I'm putting you in remembrance so that these things might be in the forefront of your thinking. Here's another way of looking at it. John 3:16, and this is a verse of scripture that we know very well. For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What's everlasting life? Everlasting life is the life of God. It's the life of Christ. So that scripture is saying God so loved the world that he gave his son to be a sacrifice. He gave his son to die and for you to die with him, for his son to be buried and you to be buried with him, for his son to be resurrected and you to be resurrected with him, for your son to be ascended to his right hand and for you to be ascended with him, and for his son to shed his blood and for you to be washed by that blood, and then for his son to live in you and through you, and that you might have his life, and that his son would execute authority in this earth through you, and that you would have his authority in his name. And then furthermore, that you would have the, the Spirit of God and the Son of God speaking through you. Amen? So that now you have the Word of God, you've got the promises of God, and you've got the utterances of the Spirit of God. That's right there in that very verse. Amen? Jesus crucified, God giving His Son. Why? So that you might now have His life. Hallelujah. Galatians 2.20 says you were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live. Yet it's not you, but it's Christ that lived in you. Hallelujah. So first, position yourself in his presence. Develop that consciousness. Develop that habit. Number two, position yourself in righteousness. Now again, uh, going back to Galatians 2, verse 20, which says, I have been crucified with Christ. You've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live. But it's not you that live. It is Christ that lives in you. And the life that you now live it is the life of Christ, and you live it by the faith of the Son of God. Now, verse 21 says, I do not 
frustrate or set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died in vain. Let's pause on this for a moment. Verse 20 is saying, it is saying, first of all, that you've been crucified, it's no longer you, it's Christ that lived in you. And then it goes on to say that that righteousness didn't come by your works. It came because Jesus died. In other words, it describes you being crucified and now the life of Christ being in you, it describes that as righteousness. But it also says, and I'm going to come back to that, it also says, I do not frustrate or set aside the grace of God, which is to say that if you do not function in this righteousness, if you do not function in this place where you crucified and it is the life of Christ living in you, if you do not function in that place, then the grace of God is frustrated. Then the, you are setting aside the grace of God. And instead of being in a position to, hear, to clearly hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you, you get a scrambled signal. And you believe you're hearing this or you believe you're hearing that and you're not able to hear properly. I'm saying so as not to frustrate the grace of God, the grace of God that speaks, that gives you direction, that gives you leading. So as not to frustrate that grace, it is important for you to function in the reality of who you are in righteousness. Amen? Galatians 2, 20 and 21, 21 is saying that that righteousness is that the fact that it's no longer you, but it's Christ that lived in you. What is the reality of this righteousness? It says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, Jesus was made sin for you and I, that you might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Meaning, Jesus became everything you were in sin, that you might become everything he is in righteousness. And again, that righteousness is so important that Paul says, you know what? In Philippians 3, verse 9, he says, I don't want to be found anywhere else, but I want to be found in Christ. I want to be found in that place, having the righteousness which is of God by faith. I don't want to be in a place where I'm somehow depending on my own works and my own ability and my own doing and my own merits. No, 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 no. You, this righteousness didn't, didn't come by your works. This righteousness didn't come because you earned it. This righteousness came because you believe on Jesus. Righteousness is yours simply by believing. There's a scripture in Romans chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, that basically says there are some people that are ignorant of the righteousness of God, and they go about trying to set, a, set up their own righteousness, trying to achieve their own, right, own, their own righteousness, and they're, they're operating in some area of, of, of works and, and, and trusting in their own flesh and trusting in their own goodness. No, Jesus Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Why is that? Because Jesus fulfilled every righteous requirement of the law. He fulfilled it all. And when you believe on him, what he did is, a, is, is um, appropriated to you. When you believe on him, he is made your righteousness. You become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so it's the end of looking to the law and looking to your works. You don't have to look there anymore. Just look to Jesus. He is your righteousness. And he's your righteousness, and you become totally righteous, the very righteousness of God, by simply believing. So you must position yourself in that righteousness. It is a gift. It's not of works. You must, how do you, what does it mean to position yourself in the righteousness? Well, number one, to position yourself in the righteousness means to position yourself in this oneness that you have with God in Christ. 
Righteousness is about this oneness. It's no longer you, but it's Christ that lives in you. John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, He is the vine and you are the what? Branches. It's the same life that is flowing in the vine and the branches. It's the same life. They are one. Jesus is the head. We are the body. The head and the body, they are one. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17 says, He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Jesus said in John 14, verse 19 and 20, He says, Because I live, you will live also. And at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Amen. Hallelujah. This oneness is so important. Jesus prayed about it in John chapter 17 and verse 21. And Jesus basically prayed, and he says, Father, that they might be one in us, even as you and I are one. The same way that they would be one, the same way Jesus and the Father one, that we would be one in them. Hallelujah. Again, in another place, Hebrews 2, verse 11. He that sanctifieth, which is Christ, and they that are sanctified, which is us, are one. The, 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 the essence of righteousness is this oneness that you have with God in Christ. Jesus wants to so occupy and flow and, 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 and consume your life that it would be so that when they see you, they see him. Remember, Jesus operated in such oneness and fellowship and closeness with the Father that Jesus could have said, you see me, you see the Father. Well, we need to come to that place where we are so conformed to his image, where he is so flowing out of us that, that it would be, you see me, you see Jesus. Yes. Now, that might sound arrogant, but that is the reality of what, of what God's heart and desire is. And that is the reality of this, of, of, of the, the, the purpose of righteousness. So you got to be established in that oneness. You got to be established and position yourself in righteousness, meaning you've got to be positioned in this place where you know that you are justified. You are just as if sin has never been. You are in right standing. Therefore, you, there is no condemnation, no guilt, no shame, all your sins are forgiven, no inferiority. You have the very nature of Christ and authority in the name of Jesus. You, that name is above every name. There is nothing or no one that you are inferior to. You are not insecure. You don't have a spirit of fear. You need to position yourself in righteousness, position yourself in that place which means right standing or justification. But again, you've got to acknowledge it. You have got to speak it. You've got to declare, I am righteous. It says in um, Romans 10, verse 6, the righteousness which is of faith speaks. It's not good enough for you to just sit there and be righteous. You've got to speak it. You've got to declare it. Amen? The life and death is in the power of your tongue. You've got to declare, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And you've got to exercise, act like a righteous. The Bible says the, effect, effect, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, then you shouldn't be praying and begging and, and wondering. No, you need to pray in faith. You need to pray with authority. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You need to act righteous. You need to act like, yes, I'm one with him. As Jesus is, so am I in this world. I am in right standing. I'm, I'm not be underneath the weight of guilt and shame and insecurity and, and fear and so on and so forth. Amen. Again, you've got to be established. You've got to position yourself here so that you're in a place where you can hear. What does it mean to, to be positioned in righteousness? What does it mean? It means that you have the authority of Jesus. 
That's what it means. The name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. It says in Isaiah 45 and verse 23, the word of God has gone out of my mouth in righteousness, that unto me every knee shall bow. Hebrews 1 verse 8 says the scepter of the kingdom is the scepter of righteousness. Righteousness is a scepter. Righteousness is an authority. Righteousness is a rule. And because of what righteousness is and the authority of righteousness, righteousness is bold. Proverbs 28 verse 1, righteous are as bold as a lion. It doesn't mean you have to shout. There could be an absolute plainness of speech, but there is a boldness, there is a confidence. You know, I believe, again, this position that you're in, this position of his presence, this position through the blood, this position of, of, of righteousness, standing and being in this place of righteousness is captured in Ephesians 3, verse 12, that says, you and I have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Christ. Boldness and confidence. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What else is it about righteousness? To be positioned in righteousness is also... To, to, means that you are positioned in the place where you have the rights of sonship and where you have the promises, they belong to you. You've got certain rights. You are joined here with Christ. You are heir of God. All the promises of God are yes and amen to you. All right. Now, a third place, so you are to be positioned in his presence, positioned in righteousness, but here is a very important one. Position yourself in rest. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter... Four, position yourself in rest, in the place of rest, in God's rest. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 says, there remains, okay, since, therefore, since, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. There is a promise of this place of rest, God's rest. And then it says, verse 2, for indeed the gospel, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word preached, the gospel preached, which they heard, didn't profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we have believed and do enter into this rest. Okay, let's break this down. It says the gospel was preached to them. The gospel that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The gospel that says it's no longer you that live, but it's Christ that liveth in you. The gospel that says that Jesus was made sin and you are the righteousness of God in Christ. But it says they heard this gospel, but they didn't mix it with faith. They didn't receive it and believe it and declare it. They didn't accept the fact that, yes, Christ is in me. Yes, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Yes, I've been crucified with him. And now it is the life of Christ. And because they didn't do that, what happened? They didn't mix that gospel and that truth with faith. They were not able to enter into that place of rest. They fell short of it because of unbelief. So then what does that say? That is saying then that you must lay a hold of the gospel. You must believe it. You must mix it with faith. And you must not allow unbelief, disobedience, and those things to keep you out. It goes on to say in verse, verse, verse 10, for he who has entered his rest himself has ceased from his works as God did from his. 
Let me interject something here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says that um, for us to loosen ourselves, Hebrews 12, verse 1, it says, it says, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run the race with patience. There are a number of weights and there are a number of things that can crowd you, that can ensnare you, that can strangle you, that can hinder you from being in this place of rest. Unbelief, disobedience, offense, being offended, being self-centered. These things can keep you out of that place of rest. Anxiety, cares, frustrations. The words and the actions of people, some conflicting atmosphere that you were in. Maybe you had some, some fretting, strife, negative environments. These things can hinder you from entering into that place of rest. So what do you do? You have got to purposely get these things off of you. You have got to get rid of these weights. You have got to purposely loosen yourself from these things. Well, how do you do that? Hebrews 4 verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest any fall short according to, according to the same example of, of disobedience and unbelief and, and, and all the anxiety and those things that try to keep you out. How do you get rid of these things? Verse 12, the word of God, it's living, it's alive, it is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the power to penetrate to the dividing of soul, spirit, joints, marrow is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. There is no creature, nothing that is hidden from its sight, and all things are naked and, and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Okay, let's think application. Here I am. I've just come from an environment. It's conflicting. There is strife. There is, um, I I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed, I'm discouraged, I have all these emotional things happening, right, stress. I can literally take the word of God and say, in the name of Jesus, I loosen these things off of myself. I cast every care on the Lord. I refuse to be anxious about anything. In the name of Jesus, and I could literally, with the word of God, sever them off of myself on purpose, with my mouth, by faith. Sometimes also, too, it says in Psalm 64, verse 1 to 8, and go read it. People sometimes will speak things, curses against you, ridicule. They may say all kind of slander. They may say things about you, and you're not even aware of it. And there are word curses that are all there to hinder you. That may have come from who knows where. It could have come from something, a parent, a child, a, a parent, a, a teacher, a, 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 um, someone in authority, a friend, someone could have said something very damaging. You may have heard it or you may not hear it, but it can affect your life. What do you do? The word of God, um, first of all, Psalm 64, around verse 3, calls those words arrows. They are like swords. Well, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is sharper than any of those words that are spoken. So it is saying you could take the word of God, which is the sharpest sword that there is, and you can chop off the head 
of all those words, negative words and curses that are being spoken against you. And those words, those, those heads, those, those negative words that are slanderous or, or demeaning or negative that have been spoken against you, it is as if it is naked before the word of God and the word of God can decapitate it. In other words, it is open. It's like, you know, the stretching of the neck and then boom, it's cut off. But what? The word of God. I'm being graphic to make a point. And then you can declare those negative words spoken against me. They are to return from wherever they came. My point is, there is a place of rest in God. But you have got to labor, according to Hebrews 4 verse 11, to enter into that place of rest. It didn't say you got to labor to be righteous. You don't got to labor to be accepted by God. But you do at times have to labor with the word of God to get all of that anxiety, all of that cares, all of that frustrations, the actions, the words, the things that people have spoken, and even that you may have spoken, to get all of those murmurings, all of that fretting, all of that moody stuff off of yourself so you could be in that place of rest. Amen? You got to position yourself in that place of rest. Now... While I'm on that point, let's shift to the fourth one. Position yourself in the quietness of your spirit. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 4 says, verse 3, don't let it be the adornment, um, don't, don't let your adornment be merely the outward arranging of the hair and the, and the wearing of, of gold and putting on fine apparel. And That's okay, put on fine apparel. Where are your gold? You got to put out, you better put on some apparel. <laughs> and it's okay to wear gold, nothing about that. But let it be the hidden person, the hidden man of the heart, that's your spirit man, with the incorruptible beauty, and this is God talking, of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. It is saying, put on that. Put on that quiet, gentle spirit. Put that on. Now, let's break that down for a moment. It says then that, you see, in this quietness of your spirit, put that on. Let function in that. First Thessalonians 4 verse 11 even says, study to be quiet. Be diligent about it. Find out what it takes for you to develop that quietness so that even if there are storms around you, Jesus was sleeping in the boat while a storm was raging. Think about it. <laughs> and I'm, my daughter is a school teacher. You could be a school teacher in a classroom with a lot of kids screaming and everybody's. You still got to learn to be, develop that quietness. Study to be quiet. Why? Isaiah 32 verse 17 says, says this, that the, if, that the work of righteousness is peace. And the effect of righteousness is quietness and full assurance forever. So it means that you're going to have to be determined to be established in righteousness, established in the reality that it's no longer you that live, you're crucified, and it is now the life of Christ that is dominating you. You're going to have to be established in that because as you do, what happens? A quietness flows out of that righteousness. Hallelujah. Glory to God. A quietness will flow out of that righteousness. So it says, again, Isaiah 30, verse 15, that in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. There is a confidence that you will have when you learn to function in this place. Because why? In that place of quietness, 
There is strength, and you know why? Because that is a place where you are able to hear God. And to hear God is to be able to get a hold of the wisdom that God has for your glory. I, Psalms 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Work at this because you need to position yourself in the quietness of spirit. That doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you can be an exuberant person, but develop that quietness on the inside and learn to put it on. Amen? So just to summarize what we've just shared, you are to position yourself in God's presence. You are to position yourself in righteousness. You are to position yourself in a place of rest. You are to position yourself in that quietness of spirit. And quite frankly, all of them are the same place. Amen? Amen. Now, here are some godly, good habits that you can develop, that you can practice. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says, Exercise yourself towards godliness. Exercise yourself. Keep it so that you can be spiritually fit. And it says bodily exercise profits little, but godliness, godly exercise is profitable for all things. It is useful. It has value in everything, in every way. And it holds a promise for the present life, but also for the life which is to come. I'm saying this to say this, there are some godly exercises that you can do that will, that will profit you right now and it will even profit you into eternity. Number one, learn to pray right. What do you mean learn to pray right? Well, sometimes Jesus says, don't be concerned about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and, and all. Don't be moved by the circumstances. Don't look at the things that are seen. Look at the things that are not seen. The things which are seen are temporal. Don't let your prayer life be dominated by the circumstances, by appearances, by feelings, by problems. When you don't let those things dictate your prayer life, because what will happen, it will instead, it will fill you with anxiety. When you pray the problem, you become more anxious. What should you be praying? Pray the promises. Pray the word of God. Pray the answer. I mean, if there is darkness you're dealing with, well, pray light. Amen? You can't find your keys? Don't talk to God and say, God, I can't find my keys. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's been lost now. For I mean, I've been looking for it all day. I've been searching everywhere, and I still can't find it. I don't know where I put it. There is zero power in that. All you're going to do is get more anxious. Don't pray at all about the problem. Say, Father, I thank you that wherever my keys is, you can see it. You know where it is. And your word says there is nothing hid that shall not be revealed. That includes my keys. So I call my keys Fung. I thank you for my keys showing up in Jesus' name. And then go search. How many say faith without works is dead? <laughs> Remember, don't pray the problem. Pray the answer. Pray from a place of revelation as the Spirit of God gives you utterance. So develop, learn to pray right. Number two, pray scriptural prayers. Take Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16 to 23, put your name in there, and pray about it. Pray that God would open up the eyes of your understanding, and that you would grow in the knowledge of him, and that you would know what is the hope you are called to, and so on. Pray Ephesians chapter 3, 16 to 20, that God would strengthen you with might by his spirit in your inner man, and that you would be able to comprehend the length, the breadth, the depth, and height, that you would be rooted and grounded in the love of God, in the nature of Christ, and righteousness. Pray it. 
Colossians 1 verse 9 to 4, 14, that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and in all spiritual understanding, that you would choose the things that are excellent, that you would live your life and be without offense until the day of Christ, and that you would take a hold of this inheritance that is yours, that has been paid for by the blood of Jesus, that has qualified you, that you would walk and walk out this redemption, etc., etc. Amen. Pray this here, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, 5, and 7, which says, Paul says, I thank my God always for you and for the grace of God which is given to you by Christ Jesus, that you be enriched in everything by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. And then verse 7 says, and that you do not come short in any good gift. Pray and say, Father, I thank you for your grace that abounds in my life so that I am enriched in everything. I am enriched in utterance. I am enriched in hearing your voice. I am enriched in the word of God being revealed to me. I am enriched in knowledge. I, and I do not come short in any good gift. Father, open up, my, my, open up the gifts of the spirit to my life so that I would walk in that place of the discerning of spirits in the, with the word of knowledge, with the word of wisdom, etc., etc. Pray scriptural prayers. That's a good practice. Number three, Live in God's word. Live in the word. Learn to live in the word. What do I mean live in the word? I mean be immersed in the word. You know, I know there's some athletes, you'll call some, uh, some basketball players, you'll see this particular basketball player is a gym rat, which means he's in the gym all the time. Well, you be in the word gym, amen? You be in the word. The Bible says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 15 says, Meditate upon these things. Give yourself wholly unto the word of God, and your profiting will appear unto all. 2 Peter um, chapter 1 and 2 says, the, says, Grace and peace is multiplied through the knowledge of him. So spend a lot of time in the word. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. L l the word of God, 1 Peter 2 verse 2 um, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word. Hallelujah. Uh, um, Job 22, verse 21 and 22, that says, acquaint now yourself with God and be at peace. How do you acquaint yourself? Find out what God says. Find out what his word says. Be a doer of the word so that our word could be built into you. Jesus says, if you abide in me, my word abide in you. Ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. I'm giving you all those scriptures because I want to make the point that you are to be immersed in the word of God. You are to study to show yourself approved. Right? You cannot have too much word. Amen? And especially when you also operate in being filled with the spirit. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 to 22 says, My son, keep, keep your father's commandments. And don't forsake the law of your mother. Bind the word continually upon your heart. Inscribe it in your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, that word will lead you. When you sleep, that word will keep you. When you awake, that word will speak to you. That word will talk to you. You see, the word of God, because it's God's word, it will fine-tune you to his voice. And you are not going to be as susceptible to being deceived and to deception. Because you will know, uh-uh, that doesn't sound like my father. Somebody come trying to tell you that God put this or that on them, you know that doesn't sound like him. He doesn't, he's not in that business. Amen? 
Praise the name of the Lord. It says in Psalms 119, talking about Jesus, that he, that, that, that he meditated in the word day and night so constantly that he had more wisdom and understanding and revelation than his teachers. Amen. So number four, a habit, practice. Pray in tongues often, even continually. First Corinthians 14, verse 4 says, when you pray in tongues, you build yourself up in your most holy faith. You build yourself up. You charge yourself up. Jude says the same thing. You build yourself up in your most holy faith. Paul says that I speak in tongues more than you all. In other words, Paul says that I don't know anybody else that prays as much tongues as I do. And he wrote a whole lot of epistles. Amen? And this is the same Paul that also, and when he wrote um, Ephesians chapter 6, and he talked about the whole arm of God. He ended it in around verse 19. It says, pray for me that utterance might be given me so that I might make, speak the word of God boldly. You see? So, you, so um, and Paul was looking out for utterance. Praying in tongues builds you up. It builds you up even in the, in the place where as you build yourself up in praying in tongues, you can even learn to detect the very place in your spirit right here where the Holy Ghost speaks. So that you can sometimes just, I mean, you're, you're on the fly, you're going about your business, and you hear something from God, you can just recognize just exactly where it came from, and realize, wait a minute, is that God? And then you could be able to discern. I'm not saying you run off with everything you hear. you got to always check and see, does it line up with the character of God? Does it line up with redemption? Does it line up with the scriptures? And so on. Amen? But anyway, pray much in tongues. Pray much in tongues. It will make you sensitive to God speaking, it will build you up, it will charge you up like a battery so that you'll be sensitive and, all, and your radars and your antennas will work better. Number five, guard your conscience. Paul says in Acts 24 verse 16, um, I, I, um, I exercise myself, I work at this, to make sure I have a conscience void of offense before God and men. Sometimes things happen and what happens, folks get angry at God. God didn't answer your prayers the way you thought he should have. And you get upset with God, well, deal with it. Talk to him. Get over it. Amen? Forgive God if you have to. <laughs> but what I'm saying is exercise, maintain a conscience, void of offense before God and before man. Um, you know, be quick to repent because you don't want your conscience to become seared. Be quick to obey. All right? Don't stay away from sin. Stay away from wrong teaching. First Thessalonians, First Timothy chapter 4, I think a wrong verse 2, verse 1 and 2, says that, says that some will be, will, be, will be led away by seducing spirits and doctrines of, of, of devils, and they will have their conscience seared, which means what? Their conscience will become calloused. And as a result, and you see your conscience, I'm not teaching on this, but the, your conscience is the voice of your spirit. And when that becomes callous and that becomes burnt and when that becomes crusted, then you're not as sensitive to the voice of the spirit of God. What am I saying? So for that reason, you need to develop a lifestyle where you learn to guard your conscience and keep it pure, keep it sensitive. Amen. Walk in obedience. Walk in love, walk in, walk in prayer, walk in holiness. Number six, start your day in prayer. Set your day in order early in the day. It says in Mark chapter 1 verse 35 that Jesus got up a long while before daybreak and he went out in a solitary place and there he prayed. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 17 says, I love those that love me and they that seek me early shall find me. 
Isaiah 50 verse 4 says, morning by morning, he wakened my ears to hear as to learn. There is something I remember, uh, 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 there were times in the past where, where I, uh, it's been, I've been a little bit more organized recently perhaps, <laughs> but I remember in times past, um, going to bed at night, and there's a, you know, there's a message I have to preach the next day, and I go to bed, and I don't know what the message is. I have no clue. And I just go to bed anyway. And I would wake up in the morning and literally look into my spirit to see if God has put something in there. And I can't tell you how many times I would literally in the morning look in my spirit and literally have the message right there. Why? Because morning by morning, he wakened in my ears to hear as I learn. And there is just something that happens in the morning in being able to hear the utterance and get the knowing and get the witness and so on and so forth. So develop that. Psalm 57 verse 79 basically says, I'm going to awaken the dawn. I will sing and I will give praise. In other words, I'm, the dawn is going to wake up to me singing. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to praise and magnify God and wake up the dawn. Hallelujah. <laughs> Oh God, my God, and I, Psalm 63 verse 1 to see my, oh God, you are my God, early will I seek thee. So seeking the Lord early in the day, developing the habit of early morning prayer is a good thing, if by any means possible, and it is. Now finally, let me conclude by saying this. Those that do these things are blessed. These words are words of life. These words will cause you to function in the very life of God, the presence of God, and position you to hear. In all that I said, let me also add this. And finally, having fellowship, intimate communion with God, the Father, with Jesus, and with the Holy Spirit is, must be your priority. You are called to the fellowship of Christ. You are called to have this communion with the Holy Ghost. When you consider the great people of God, it was this intimate fellowship that they had with God that caused their life to be so fruitful. Think about Jesus himself. When, when I mean, Lazarus was dead. Jesus, Jesus didn't dash back. Why? Because he was hearing from the Father. He, he had heard about it. He knew Lazarus was dead before they told him. Why? Because of this fellowship he had. Jesus had such an intimate fellowship with the Father that he could say, whatever I hear the Father say, that's what I say. Whatever I see him do, I do. And it was out of that fellowship that Jesus did all the miracles that he did. Smith Wigglesworth, a man that raised, that raised I think, 14 or more people from the dead. It is said that, that, that Smith Wigglesworth would never sit and eat before reading a certain amount of scriptures. He would never let a long period of time, I don't know if it's half hour, whatever it is, go by without him communicating and talking to God. And he prayed in tongues a lot. He, he stayed away from, from secular news and secular newspapers. And if he was living today, he'd probably stay off of Facebook. <laughs> Sorry. He, was probably, he would probably be not as involved in social media. But again, that was a great man of God. His fellowship with God was a secret. Kenneth Hagin, his fellowship with God. John, the, the apostle John, who, who that wrote, I am disciple whom Jesus loved. What was his lifestyle? His life, I mean, he was the one that was so close to Jesus that even when they were out there and after Jesus' resurrection and Jesus was on the shore having fish and, and so on and so forth and cooking for them, right? It was John that recognized him. Why? Out of that fellowship. 
When, when did they have a question? They would say, John, you ask Jesus, who is he talking about? Right? You know the story where when Jesus says it was going to be Judas, the one who, who dipped, who was going to betray him. It was John that had that relationship, that had that confidence to hear from Jesus. Paul says, I count all things but loss, even the things that were gained to me. Why? That I might have this intimate fellowship and this knowing that I might know him, the power of his resurrection, that I would be filled with this knowledge of Christ. I want to win Christ. This fellowship, what am I saying? This is very, very important, that you must pursue the fellowship of God. And it is because you're pursuing that, that is why you're doing all these things. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Let's just make this confession together, just based on, on what we have shared today. Just say this with me. Say, Father in heaven, I acknowledge the truth. I acknowledge that you live in me. I acknowledge that I live in your presence, and your presence is in me. I acknowledge that I am righteous, free from shame and guilt, free from condemnation, free from insecurity, and I have the authority of Christ, and I have all the rights and privileges of being your son. Father, I thank you, and I do declare I'm one with Christ. And this is the life I now live. It is the life of Christ that is in me. I have been crucified. This is my righteousness. Father, I live in this place of rest. And I refuse to let anything from humanity, anything from the enemy, anything from the past, contaminate me, weigh me down, or snare me. I separate these things off of myself with the sword of the word of God. And I live in this place of freedom, this place of rest, this place of peace. Father, I thank you for helping me to develop, to live out of the quietness of my spirit man. I will be still and know that you are God. I am going to develop in this quietness, in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for teaching me your ways and causing me to walk in your pathways and to have godly exercises so that I could be established in your presence, in righteousness, in this place of rest, and living out of my born-again spirit that is the righteousness of God. Father, I thank you. Oh, I bless your name forevermore. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you for the body of Christ that has been broken for me. I acknowledge that I have fellowship and a common share and an intimate participation in everything Jesus did in his shed blood and in his broken body. In Jesus' name.